Hello, this is Alan Carr, and you're listening to People Do Fun Jobs with Mr. Winter. Hello, friend, it's Jeremy Winter here, aka Mr. Winter, back again for another episode of People Do Fun Jobs. My podcast is all about finding inspiring people doing fun things, hearing how they do what they do, and hopefully helping you to live a happier life. Now, I have to say, before we get into this one, thank you to everyone that has watched, listened, liked, shared and commented, sent messages to me all about episode one of this series, the one with Alan Carr. I honestly, I couldn't have ever imagined my podcast reaching the amount of people that it has. You know, granted, it is because people clearly love Alan Carr. He seems to make people feel really uplifted and I'm still loving all the comments coming through about that. And uh, yes, I agree. I do think Chatty Man should make a comeback. If you've not had the chance to enjoy it yet, I have clips on my Insta and TikTok. You can watch it in full on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts from. My website is probably the best place to go and find everything you need. It's mrwinterworld.com. All right, on this episode, you're going to meet CEO and co-founder of the charity Choose Love, Josie Norton. In 2015, Josie had an exciting job in the music industry. She was living in LA and working with one of the most famous bands of our time. But who? Well, you'll have to listen, won't you? That year made history when an unprecedented amount of Syrian people fled their country for safety. Josie and some friends decided to do something to help. They headed to Calais. And fast forward seven years later, she now runs a global organization supporting millions of refugees and displaced people all over the world. Choose Love have solid figures to back up their success too. Listen to this. They've supported almost 4 million people worldwide. They've rescued, unbelievably, over 20,000 people at sea. With their partners, they've distributed more than 5 million hot meals, almost 3 million nappies, and over 650,000 items of clothing. Now, I know the name of the podcast is People Do Fun Jobs. And at its core, it's a lighthearted concept. And as Josie says in this conversation, where you see the worst in humanity, you also see the best. And what she's doing, real talk now, is really cool. This is a cause that I really connect with, and I think it's important for us to address. I think if you and me were in a situation where we are in so much danger in our home country where we live, that we had to risk the lives of ourselves and our families for a better, safer life, we would do it. You'd do it, right? So why are we not treating people the way that we would want to be treated? People do. Fun Jobs, brought to you by Mr. Winter. Let's go. I want to give you a content warning quickly. So whilst our conversation isn't bleak throughout, there's plenty of loveliness uh, and laughs, but we do touch on sensitive subjects and use examples you may find upsetting. Welcome, Josie, to People Do Fun Jobs. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me the story, Josie, of the impact that the image of the three-year-old Syrian boy, Alan Kurdi, had on you 
and on Choose Love. So we had started fundraising about a week before that image and we were seeing all of these images on the news of, um, you know, so many people crammed into little dinghies, small boats crossing the ocean, of people living in, you know, forests, crossing borders, packed into trains. And so we we were already having a big response from people who wa- who wanted to step up and wanted to help. It had been in the news for a few months. But when that image was on the front page of all of the newspapers, I just think, I always say it like it sparked an explosion of compassion in public consciousness that I, I really do believe is the reason that so many civil society organizations exist today, including including Choose Love. So after after that awful, devastating tragedy and that image that I think, you know, seeing his little shoes and um, seeing how small he was and the kind of peaceful lifelessness in, in his body. And then when as people started to learn about his family and their story, um, I think it just made people say, if, you know, if, if not now, then when? And so overnight, we suddenly the number of donations on our fundraising page just exponentially went up. We started an Amazon wish list. We got 7,000 packages delivered the very next day. That happened every day for five weeks. And I think just in that moment, people wanted to volunteer. They wanted to do whatever whatever they could. And it was, it was enough to just post something on Facebook. It, it was like, no, we have to do something now. And you had six volunteers working for you. Yeah. At that point. We did. And, and then these 7,000 packages come in the next day following this, the release of it, yeah. this image. And we had to go on social media and say, can we, is anyone, can we find more volunteers? And um, I think within a few days we had nearly 40 people coming every day. It wow. was It was totally, totally crazy, but that beautiful to see what is possible when humans come together. And what kind of people were showing up to help? Literally people from all walks of life, all ages. I think our youngest volunteer was 15, who was just doing their GCSEs. There were grandmas, there were people who had just recovered from illness. And it also seemed like we, whatever skills that we needed somehow appeared. I had no experience in um, like logistics or palletizing. I didn't even know what a pallet was. And there was an amazing guy who did um, logistics for prisons who came to volunteer. And so he was like, this is how we pack a pallet. This is how we need to pack a lorry. And yeah, it was just, it was amazing. Proper people power. <laughs> I love proper people power. <laughs> love the alliteration. That is, that is incredible to see that. I want to delve into Choose Love and, and all of its story. But what I find remarkable is before all of this, is where you where you were at career wise and the sacrifices you actually made to start choose love so tell us about that and what you were doing so i had done anthropology at university and i had ended up not finishing and i'd ended up working in a bar in camden called the holy arms which was i was really I lucky know the holy arms. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was lucky to be there at a time when there was a real the indie music scene, and that in that pub, MTV was just around the corner. Amy Winehouse went there. The Mighty Boosh, Razorlight, all it was that really. I that knew that time. exact area. Yeah, you're speaking of, and yeah. um, and so I was really lucky. I made a lot of friends, and I got to know a lot of people, and ended up then from those connections working in telly, and then working in music, and ultimately ending up with just an absolute dream job of of working with Coldplay, the band. 
Wow. And I was incredibly lucky. I was living in Los Angeles. Um, I had moved there with them and it was the summer of 2015 and they had come home to the UK. So I had also come home and that was when the refugee crisis happened. So in, in the summer of 2015, well, the whole year, a million people, over a million people arrived in Europe seeking sanctuary. And it's it's when we saw I saw these images that we, we just talked about and said to some friends at lunch, I think we should do something to help and could never have imagined then what would happen. And then it just, you know, I, I found my what I was supposed to be doing. I couldn't I couldn't do anything else. So it was I never would have thought that um, I would have turned away from that career career trajectory because it mm. was like my dream. So, yeah, it's interesting how life works out. So you must, because you must have worked quite hard to get to that point where you were, because it was Coldplay, you were part of their management team. Is that yeah, right? I was assistant to their manager, creative director. So, I mean, that's that's a, a huge tar, a, a huge job and a lot of time yeah, and was... effort you've put to get to that point. So you must have been really bloody sure you wanted to leave that. Yeah, I, well, I don't, I, no, actually that's not true. It was a, <laughs> there was a, a whole emotional process going on. Mm. Um, but it, also what's interesting, I think, is that I, I always say this, that I, I learned so much in my two and a half years there. And they, they were, you know, they're, they run a global business. They are, they do that with a relatively small team. They're touring, they're creating, but I learned they do a lot of charity work. I, they're so kind to everyone. They're so thoughtful about everything. I learned so much and I really do credit my, my time there with having been able to to build Choose Love. It, it wouldn't exist had I not been, not, not worked there. Mm -hmm. And do you ever miss that past music life you were, you were living? Sometimes, yeah. You know, a big, I'm being really honest, in the, in the kind of time where it was working out, am I really going to do this full time? Am I really going to like try and do this? One of the things I was really sad about was to like not be at festivals and gigs anymore and not, not be in that that world mm -hmm. and um and so i had to like make like accept okay that's not going to be a part of my life anymore but then little did i know that choose love would grow to be what it's become and now i find myself at gigs and events and they're being put on in aid of choose love and so that it that part of my life is actually still very much a part of of my life and what choose love is which is something i could never have imagine but again an interesting thing how things work totally, out totally yeah and i suppose that was part of the success was all of your backgrounds coming together to to create choose love absolutely a hundred percent and was so lucky to have so many connections and um like not be afraid to knock on doors and basically pester people to, until they yeah. would they would um they would they would help and and actually no, that's that's unfair to say pester people because people really want to help yes. but we were very lucky to have to have all of these connections <laughs> <laughs> in the early days your charity dared to go where really no other charities did at that time mm. why was it important for you and your team to do that so when we had raised all of the money that we had raised and we had all of this aid and storage, um, you know, I think it wasn't lost on us that people had trusted us and they had put trust in us that this was all going to be used in the most effective way and go to where it was really needed. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt very instinctive to really like follow through on that. And so 
we 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 went to northern France to the camp there and kind of expected to find a big aid organization that we would hand everything over to. And when there wasn't one and we saw that it was civil society that was responding, it was everyday people, it was a couple of particular small French organizations that really, really needed support. It was like a kind of no brainer. Right. This is this is what we have to do. You can't people can't be living like this. And there was a naivety, I think, because we didn't, we weren't from the sector. We didn't know about all the different challenges. And so it, it, it was just very organic. And I think as well, we didn't, sounds, maybe this sounds weird, but didn't have anything to lose. Mm. So we're really quite willing to take risks. And at that time it felt, you know, this, this was like, this was unprecedented what was happening in Europe. And so, yes, that, you know, if there are fishermen in Greece who are rescuing people out of the ocean, well, we have to step up and do something and 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 help them. And now with time, as the organization has grown and the organization has, um, you know, we have so many different partnerships, there are organizations that rely on us, we have to be slightly more careful. And mm-hmm. we now have learned about, you know, the reason why certain policies exist and why some of these things that other organizations have in place exist and so we're now trying to like walk that line between still taking risks but doing that carefully and making sure that we're we have some red tape but not too much red tape yeah but it's still really important to us to to go to you know even in in ukraine or syria um we're making sure that we're working in the areas where the most need is we're in the same way too as I'm now supporting those on the front line in the war of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is different about how Choose Love operate now compared to the other humanitarian organizations we have here? When we first started, we had an operation ourselves. Mm. So we, together with a partner organization, but rented a warehouse. We had volunteers, we had distribution systems. We had all of these different programs. But we started to realize that that was kind of the old model of aid of organizations kind of, I don't want to say parachuting in, but, you know, turning up, setting up an operation and then ultimately leaving and the volunteers being people from other countries. And actually, there were already organizations in the different countries that we were working who who could respond. They just needed support to do that and and over time we've also learned that really the communities themselves you know they just need the resources to be able to do what they need to do and so we transitioned out of being an operating organization and what we do is fundraise and then we identify the most effective community-based organizations and grant give to those organizations so when the invasion of Ukraine happened we knew that it was going to be Ukrainian organizations who would who would be responding, who would be evacuating people, yeah. who would be responding when bombs were being dropped and supporting people and getting them urgent medical care. It would be people in Poland who would be housing people who were arriving in Poland. And so whereas back in 2015, maybe we would have like gone gone there ourselves and tried to set something up. We actually sent a team of two to the ground who started identifying who were the organizations, who were the individuals who were doing the work. And then we raised resources and got the resources to them. And that's very much what our model is now. Right. Okay. Yes. So you're kind of delegating, I suppose, from. Yeah. And and I think up um, uplifting and amplifying 
what's already happening. Mm-hmm. And there's also something about, you know, e- equity as well. And, you know, we live in this incredibly privileged country that obviously is going through a lot of things itself right now. But, mm. um, you know, we, we have we, we have the ability to raise these resources. And in a lot of the countries that we work in, people people don't. And that's because of colonialism and because of history and because of all of these things. So it kind of feels like it's our responsibility to raise those funds and, and give them to people rather than come in and say, this is how, this is what should happen now, because actually we don't know. So just pick you up on the point earlier, you said uh, about going in and taking risks. Mm. Can you give me an example of the sort of risks you were taking in the early days um, that you wouldn't dare do now? Um, <laughs> uh, I think... You know, going to work on a border, a, a border where there's riot police and you're renting a warehouse space, you're having hundreds of volunteers a day. I'll be honest, you know, we probably didn't have all of the systems that we should have had at, the, at that time. But we built them, you know, we, we built the plane whilst, whilst flying it. But I think now, would I, would I do that? Probably not. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that we did. Yeah. It's kind of how you have to build it from grassroots. Yeah, and and that's what I, what I said earlier about naivety being um, actually an asset because we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah. And I think a lot of big organizations did know what we were getting ourselves into and that's why they were like, we're not going to do that. Yeah, but that, did it not give you like an element of bravery that actually a big established organization can't afford to have maybe yeah yeah absolutely and and so now we're really conscious to not just become the thing that was the reason that we needed to exist if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it does make sense (laughs) choose love wasn't always called that no, it wasn't. You changed the name. Why Why was that? When did that happen? So when we first started, we were actually originally called Help Calais, but then very quickly realized that we needed to be helping elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So we became Help Refugees. And our logo was designed by a, a friend of mine who's an artist. And I still really love it and wish that we kind of used it a bit more. It was a barbed wire heart because of obviously around camps is so much barbed wire and mm-hmm. turning it into a heart. So we were called Help Refugees and in part also because that's what people were Googling at the time so it was like if people are going to google how to help refugees or help refugees then we would come up Mm -hmm. but with time we realized that actually the word help is quite problematic and it it creates this kind of like power imbalance and the idea that people need need help um which of course they do but there's you know we just talked about like colonialism and all Mm. of those things so it's kind of it's actually about readdressing balance rather than necessarily like us coming in and, and helping people. So help, we we probably wouldn't have had that word in the title knowing what we know now. Yeah. And then even the word refugees is complicated because it's the refugee status is what entitles people to protection and asylum. So it is really important. But in the kind of political world that we exist in now the word has become quite stigmatized and yeah. it's used used yeah um used against people mm-hmm. um and it creates a kind of us and them and so we were very lucky we had a t-shirt designed for a gig that we put on very early on by Catherine Hamnett and which said choose love and that became kind of what we were known for and in our socials posts we would like talk about something 
an injustice that had happened. We'd always put hashtag choose love at the end. And people knew us actually more for choose love. Yeah. And then we felt like, you know what? That's actually more representative of the world that we want to see. And that's representative of, you know, including everyone in in the solution and everyone working together. So we, we changed our name from Help Refugees to Choose Love. And it definitely feels like the right decision. Has it helped you? Because it, it's an iconic name now. Yeah. Everyone knows the... The logo, everyone's seen the T-shirt. Hopefully a lot of people own those T-shirts. <laughs> has, has that really helped? Yeah, it has. Uh, well, I used brand. to find myself saying, I'm the CEO of Help Refugees. And people would say, oh, I don't know what that is. And um, and I would say, have you seen people wearing a Choose Love T-shirt? <laughs> um, and they would say yes. And I would say, oh, that, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And now I don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I say, I run Choose Love and people go, oh, yeah, I know, I know what that is. So, no. It definitely has, and it is a it it is a really it's it's a strong brand. We're we're so so lucky to have the name. Let's talk about your very powerful celebrity support that you've got, because it's kind of part of part of the brand awareness that you have. Benedict Cumberbatch, Olivia Coleman, Harry Styles, Dua Lipa. The the list really goes on. <laughs> um, very impressively. So, how how have you roped these people in, and 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 why have you done it? And how does it help? So I think when we started the organization, we we weren't a formal organization. We didn't have access to applying for grants. So mm. the only way to raise the funding that was needed on the ground was to do that from the public. And, you know, we had a, a certain community that was following us that was growing. But ultimately, if you want to reach more people, you need people with platforms to, to speak out. And so it kind of seemed, a, you know, no brainer strategy to ask people who had those platforms mm. if they would if they would post about it, if they would get involved. And I think people really wanted to do something to help be them, be that a celebrity or not a celebrity. And so celebrities were actually really grateful for the opportunity to be able to do something that they that they cared about. And then over time, we've seen how effective that is as a, as a strategy and i think people you know people who who follow someone um and they they're really interested in what they believe and what they think when they see someone that they really care about say you know what i stand with refugees it encourages them to go and look up and read more about the issue and then maybe get involved it's been amazing over the last seven years to see all the different people who have got who have got involved and now people actually come to us and say that they they want to get involved and things like the t-shirt you know that celebrities wearing the t-shirt is why the t-shirt sold so well and mm -hmm. yeah and I know that there's sometimes some criticism I guess of the use of, of celebrities so much in, in these kind of things. So I think we have to balance it with making sure that we're amplifying and telling the stories of those we're supporting. But everything that She's Love is, is about is about creating community. And so there's room for everyone in that, yeah. I hope. Yeah, it is amazing, isn't it, how it has that impact on people, how it can it almost verifies what you're doing. Not that it needs it, but it's something yeah. maybe it does. I yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's, you know, it takes... It takes a lot, I think, sometimes, especially on this issue that is so politicized. You know, people in the public eye can get backlash sometimes for, for standing up and saying that, you know, the government's policies aren't right. And and the fact that they are 
are brave enough to do that, mm. I think inspires people to say, you know what, I am going to take time out of my my life to volunteer or um, I am going to read up further about that and I am going to get involved. When you say what you do is is politicised mm. or the cause that you're, that you're promoting, what does that mean for you day to day? Is, like, is that a real struggle with people, with government? You know, what, what do you mean by that? So, I mean, what's so strange actually about about the fact that it's politicized is that it's literally the most opposite of something political. It's about human beings. Yeah. And that's what She's Love is about. When we were deciding what T-shirt Catherine would design for us, she was saying, but this is just about human beings. And I was telling her about the people that we'd met. And I met people who were like my mom or my grandma or, you know, if I had kids, they would be my kids. And um, she said, you know, this is this is just about humanity and love and why don't we change? She had an iconic t-shirt called Choose Life that she changed to Choose Love. But, you know, we live in a world where borders are becoming more and more, um, like, strong. Walls are being built. Riot police boats are being put on borders. You know, governments are using immigration and refugees as a tool to scare people into voting for them. And we, you know, right now in this country, our government wants to send people to Rwanda who are arriving here seeking sanctuary, who have fled things that we can't even imagine. Our Home Secretary recently said in Parliament, these are not refugees that are arriving, these are criminals. And that's literally not true. And so it's really important that we humanize this issue and tell the truth and that people have access to the true information yeah. but that is you know for a lot of people that you know it's quite a big deal to come out and, and say something different to what the government is saying yeah absolutely it's a risk on their own what you know what they're doing yeah their own absolutely public work. yeah in terms of the charity like you've built i keep referring to choose love as a charity is that right the right thing i should be doing by the way yeah it is yeah, yeah. we sit under an umbrella charity but you're still right to call it <laughs> to call it a charity. But you've been so successful in building it as a brand and as an organization and building its awareness. Do you have you ever thought, you know, I've got the skill set here to build a profitable business? Do you ever <laughs> think that? Because you've clearly taken some you've built something from nothing with <laughs> with help, but you you know, it has come from you. Do you ever think that? I would be lying if I said that I hadn't. <laughs> um, I welcome honesty on this podcast. <laughs> yes, I have. I, 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 I have sometimes thought about, wow, gosh, uh, you know, life. My life could be a bit, a bit different if I had put all of this energy into creating a for-profit for business. But the truth of it is, is that I really think that you, you only succeed at something if you are if you are doing what your true passion is and what you really, really care about. And you can only sell something if you really believe in it. And this is what I, what I really believe in. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think, I think if I had tried to set up a, a company doing something else, it wouldn't have worked because it wouldn't have been what I was supposed to be, supposed to be doing. So, um, and that's probably a good thought process to go through because it then strengthens your conviction in what you're doing. Yeah. That's very reassuring as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It is. You know you're doing it the is, right I, thing. Yeah, exactly. But I do also think that in the charity sector, it is important that, you know, people are paid well and 
you know, we, we, we want to make sure that we have salaries that mean our team can, can live. And so we can have, you know, talent in our team who are ultimately the best people to be doing the job by the people that we're supporting. And I think that is an important conversation to be having as well. You're listening to Mr. Winter. You are listening to Mr. Winter here on People Do Fun Jobs. Did you know you can also watch full interviews and clips of my podcast? I put them out on YouTube and my socials. Head to mrwinterworld.com for all the links. Best way to keep up to date with the show and everything else I get up to is by following me on Insta at Mr. Winter World. I would love it if you could give this episode a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. But between me and you, just be nice. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Let's go. Hey, what do you think about this? You love what you do and it's very important for you to be doing it. But if there wasn't a refugee crisis... You wouldn't have to be doing it, but that I don't really know what my question is. I, I do. You, do, you, do you know what I'm trying to get at? I do. Yeah, I do. And it's an when when we first started, we used to always say, and this is still true, but maybe it's just not so realistic. Like we want to put ourselves out of business. We mm. don't want to exist, and I think that's really important element of charity like if you're just trying to perpetuate the system and if you're profiting of people suffering like that is awful Mm -hmm. so initially it was always like oh we imagine we won't exist in six months oh it's been another six months but hopefully governments are going to do right world's going to sort itself out in another six months we're going to do loads of advocacy and then that's going to change everything and again that was maybe a little bit naive and mm-hmm. when we started there were 65 million displaced people in the world there's now 103 million displaced I mean, people in the world uh, does that drive you to keep doing the work you're doing or does it just make you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall it drives me to keep doing the work we're doing and yeah. and i i now i i think we started out thinking we could could change the world I'm now not sure if we can change the world, but we can definitely change the trajectory of individuals' lives. And and that, that's what gets me up in the morning. Good. That's so amazing to hear. <laughs> and please keep going, for goodness sake. <laughs> oh, um, what's the toughest part of your job? Um, Off the back of that. I, I think seeing what happens in the world, mm. and I think I didn't really know how, what happens to people, what human beings are capable of, how much unjust injustice there is in the world. And that is that is hard. Of course, it's it's much harder for the people actually going through it. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't want to be self-indulgent in that in that way. You're trying to achieve so much, but you're having to do it on a on a shoestring. And you also are, you know, the organization is just starting to get to a place where we have a tiny bit more sustainability, but often you just don't know if your if your organization is still going to exist in six months time and so that is that is really hard and i think it's something that's so difficult for the charity sector as a whole is that is that scarcity and it actually should be the the sector that is that is most resourced you must see some really sad things yeah yeah how do you see the positive in in those situations i think you know, I'll give an example about Ukraine, and I hope it's not too um, too distressing. But in Ukraine, particularly in the occupied areas, when 
we you know people will be reading about it in the news but the 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 war crimes that are being committed on people it's just unbearable and unthinkable that human beings are capable of that and that human beings are going through it and um, we fund amazing organizations who are evacuating people and 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 getting people out to safety and then when you you hear about these stories it is you know it's 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 ha- it, it's haunting but then those same organizations they're what's so incredible and I, there was a photographer and cin- a cinematographer who's just been in Ukraine getting content of of our of our partners work recently and he was telling me a story about a woman who she is a counselor and she has ended up now she's stayed in Ukraine she is counseling people who have been the victims of of gender-based violence um but she's also adopted I can't remember if it's four or six children who've lost their parents and like I mean individuals like that you just can't like that is the most what what an amazing human being just totally dedicating herself like that and so it is a privilege for us to to be raising funds and supporting individuals and organizations doing doing that work so yeah we always say it's like you see the worst of humanity but you also see the best of humanity there was an example of like earlier on in choose love's history where you were giving phones to children who'd lost their families or yeah what, what was the example of that so a big part of our work is supporting unaccompanied children. And when I first arrived in Northern France in 2015, on that very first day, we met children who were alone and unaccompanied. I just didn't even know that that was possible. Kids as young as like eight, nine years old doing this, doing these journeys on their own, just unthinkable. And one of the kind of crazy things about, about the unaccompanied ch- children is that because there's no system set up to be able to support them all and it's really hard to safeguard the children, there ends up being no response because no one wants to take that responsibility and not be able to do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And that seems so unbelievably crazy and doesn't really make sense to me. So we we began um, supporting through partner organizations these young people and children in whatever way we could and that might be funding social workers that might be trying trying to advocate for protection systems in countries to help them but it might also be just funding like distribution of clothes mobile phones and making sure they have credit because that can be the difference between life and death and there was one particular boy who I think he was eight years old at the time who was he was with his older brother but one of the volunteers that we were supporting had made sure that he had a phone and credit with our funding and they had ended up being in a lorry it was a I can't remember if it was a refrigerated lorry or not but anyway it was a lorry and they had got stuck and he used that phone to call the volunteer and say I'm with all of these people in a lorry that had been going from France to the UK because people have, you know, the smugglers put them in the back of lorries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're stuck and we can't breathe and their air is running out. And she was then able to contact the police. They were able to locate the phone and said they found the lorry and I think it's 17 people were oh rescued. And so it just showed, you know, and that phone was only able to be bought and that credit was only able to be bought because someone somewhere donated us five pounds 10 pounds 20 pounds and that just shows the like the impact of what's possible that is incredible isn't it it really is i suppose if you're ever having a bad day i imagine you've got a lot of those examples of those similar um, stories of yeah 
saving lives but if you've ever if you're ever having a bad day you've got that one very strong example there haven't you to yeah remind you why you're doing what you're doing a hundred percent yeah totally actually I was with another partner last week and they were they're an organization that run uh, schools but they had run schools in like the underground buildings in Aleppo in Syria when it was being really bombed this woman they, she she's based in America but she had been at this event and this young guy came up to her who is now at Harvard and said you know I was going to school in one of these underground schools in these underground shelters in Syria and I didn't really know why it was there or who paid for it, but he recognized the logo because that was in the mm-hmm. in the school and he now saw it at this event and he was like, I'm now at Harvard. And you oh, know, wow. and that's that's thanks to the, the to the underground school that you you created. Wow. So it's just like that's amazing. And again, we're privileged to support that organization. They're called Quran Foundation in some small way. What would you say is the best part of your job? I would say the best part of my job is I actually don't get to do this as much now that we've um we have programs team and the organization has grown but mm. when you are able to tell an organization we've got the fun- like we can give you the funding to be able to set up the amazing program that you're doing or when we read the reports of our partners and we see the amazing work that's possible I think that is that like that is again the Everything. reason to, to get up in the morning mm-hmm. um so, yeah, I feel very lucky to get to do this every day. And so the my thinking really with having you on around this this time is for this. This is episode the second episode in the second series. People, I think, whilst they think of themselves and their loved ones, I think people do think beyond that as well at this time of year. I you think know, so. It's, it's a cold season. Yeah. I thought it it made sense to invite you on. I'm so glad you've come on and like shared all this. Oh, thank you so much. Do and and because it's it's yeah it's it's a cause that I personally really do connect with, as so many people do. It just doesn't make sense to me. And what you're doing is incredible work. Um, how can people help? If people are able to, we know there's a cost of living crisis, but if people are able to, even the the smallest gift, it really does help and can save a life. We are www.choose.love. We just feel really lucky that the Choose Love movement is continuing to grow. So, And you're part of that movement now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. And just to end, this is a question I, I ask every guest who comes on. People do fun jobs. Josie, for you, what is the meaning of life? Oh, it's such a big question. Bloody big question. (laughs) I don't know why I chose it. I think the meaning of life is is working out what your purpose is and living that purpose. And I think it's a human connection. And the meaning of life is connecting with other with other humans and being really being part of the 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 human race. I love that. And that's exactly (laughs) what you're doing with Choose Love. I hope so. Anyway, yeah. Trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Josie. No, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Josie has such a warm energy about her. And whilst we did talk about some really sad things, Josie is full of enthusiasm. She's full of hope, full of a want to create community. And it seems as long as there are people in need of help, Josie and everyone at Choose Love will keep doing what they're doing. If you want to support, 
head to www.choose.love. You can follow them on socials, of course, as well. But the website address, one more time, is choose.love. Big thanks to my guest, Josie Norton, Camera Wizard, Riddish Devani, to Krina Pithwar and the team at Runaway East Soho for the studio space. Music by Alex Bloomfield and for you for being here. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends, rate it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. All the links are on my website, mrwinterworld.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And I'll see you soon, friend. Thanks for listening to Mr. Winter. Let's go. Let's go.